So in January 2010, something happened to me that rocked my world. It was an unplanned event that took me on a course I never thought I would be on. Um, in January 2010, my divorce became final. Um, I never planned on being divorced. I didn't want to be divorced. Uh, I didn't ask for the divorce, but I contributed greatly to, to the divorce. So in no way was, in any way was I a victim of this. So at the urging of some friends, as soon as the divorce was final, I signed up for eHarmony. And uh, this is not a sermon on divorce, and so I'm going to make no comments about eHarmony, except to say that I canceled my membership within 72 hours, so I got all my money back. And that was nine years ago. I hit a pause button on this whole, I'm going to start dating again. I hit a pause button that has lasted to this day and might last for the rest of my life. Um, so I've had two seasons of singleness. I had the initial season of singleness from 18 to 25. Uh, it doesn't count when you're seven and you're single. That doesn't count. So, but if you're 18, so adult singleness, I had one season from 18 to 25, and now I've had another season from the age of 50 to 59. They've both been hard. They've both been challenging. The second season has been way harder and way more challenging than the first season. But they were both difficult. Ten years ago, um, I thought I was walking into a desert that I would be in for the rest of my life. It would be dry, it would be lonely, it would be fruitless. So it might surprise you when I tell you that uh, if I titled this sermon, I would title it The Gift of Singleness. And that I have found a depth of wisdom and fruitfulness and joy that I never thought imaginable. I wouldn't say it's been fun. I wouldn't say it's always been happy. But there's a depth to it that I never thought I would experience. Now, singleness, uh, some of you might be single or you know single people, and there's a lot of different reasons why people are single, and there's different seasons of singleness. So some of you might be in that first season of singleness, and you're probably going to get married. Some of you might be in a second season of singleness, and through the death of a spouse or through a divorce, you're in a second season of singleness that you didn't thought you would be, be in. And maybe some of you have just been single for a lot longer than you ever imagined, and you wonder if you will ever get married, and, and, and maybe, maybe not. So we're single for different reasons, but for all of us, I think there's two messages that we usually get about singleness from the culture and from church. And first, the culture, there's a minor message that, that I call, you compare it to a carnival. It's, it's a party. You get to do what you want. You get to sleep with who you want. You get to live life your way. So that's the carnival. The second image is that it's a tragedy. It's just a tragedy to not have that one special romantic partner that you can turn to that's always there for you, that's this built-in friend that's going to be there when your plane leaves or right before your plane takes off, and you can say, honey, I'm home, and honey, I'm back, and to not have that person in your life is a tragedy. It's lonely, it's unfruitful, and it's sad. There was an article in the Atlantic Magazine where a woman reporter who was th told us, said in the article that she was 36 years old and she was interviewing a bunch of young women 
who were all single but wanted to be married by the time they were 27 or 28. And she reminded them, well, I'm 36 and I'm still not married. And one of the women gasped and said, I don't think I could bear that for this long. I remember one time when I had just moved into my new home about three, four years ago, and I had it all set up. So I had my daughter and my son-in-law and my granddaughter, Nora, over, and she went into the bedroom, and she looked at my queen-size bed, and she said, Papa, your bed is so big. Who sleeps with you at night? Assuming that there must be somebody that sleeps with me at night. That was the kind of stuff that got me. Waking up at 2.30 a.m. and not having somebody there when I was used to having somebody there. That's when the crushing loneliness would hit me. And I would say to myself, this is not a gift. This feels like a curse. This feels like life, not life. So how can I say it's a gift? How can I say it's fruitful? That it's actually a whole life, that it's actually a fully alive life, that we can actually receive it from the Lord Jesus as a gift. Well, I would say it's, and, and I don't say this glibly because I've struggled with this, I've fought for this, I've wept for this, and sometimes it's still not easy, but it is possible, I believe, in and with and through and for Jesus and the church. That's the only way it's been possible for me. So as Christians, we always start with Jesus. We always start, boom. We nail right in on Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, his life, his incarnation. And here's the amazing thing. In the biblical story, the most alive, the most fully human human being to ever exist, actually the only most fully human human, was a single person, Jesus. You ever thought about that? How counter-revolutionary was that back then, but how counter-revolutionary that is to us today. A single person was our example of the most fully alive human being. In the Gospels, Jesus said a couple of really interesting things about singleness. One of them was in the Gospel reading you just heard, read from the Gospel of Matthew. So, and in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is talking about marriage, and he's talking about the beauty and the nobility of marriage and how a husband and wife become one flesh and how that's permanent and, and yet sometimes it gets, it gets fractured by divorce and then Jesus gets sidetracked and he starts talking about singleness. And then he says this, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. That's from Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. Now, we don't usually talk about eunuchs today. We don't have paid positions where you can be a professional eunuch at your company. So what did a eunuch meant? Well, a eunuch was somebody who was not married. And in Jesus' day, in biblical times, they were not married, and they also were not involved in sexual relations. And they were in that role for one of two reasons, either, first of all, they had sexual organs that didn't develop at birth, or secondly, they were made that way by certain people. They were forced into that role. So it wasn't something necessarily that you chose, although being a eunuch could be a very important and noble role in serving kings and queens and things like that. 
But Jesus says, he surprises his disciples. He says, well, there's actually a third category of eunuchs. And they are people that are singles. They are people that are living chaste lives, not involved in sexual relationships, because they have received something from God, he says. They've received a life from God that is, and this is for a purpose beyond just serving somebody politically or beyond just something that was unfortunate. It's a choice to live a certain way for a greater cause, the kingdom of God. So Jesus does an astounding thing, which is actually astounding throughout many cultures throughout the world, many world religions, as he puts marriage and singleness on the same plane. They're not like this, where it's like, well, you're single, but that's too bad, but good luck with that. God will be with you. No, they're like both valid ways to live your life. The second passage where Jesus says something surprising about singleness is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. And Jesus is talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the life to come. He's talking about eternal life. And in this discussion in Luke chapter 20, verse 34, he says, the sons of this age, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to the age of the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. What's Jesus saying? Well, he's saying that in heaven, everybody's going to be single. Nobody's going to be married. Now, if you're married and you really like your spouse, you might go, oh, rats, that's a jip. Well, I mean, come on. I like my wife. I like my husband. That seems like a subtraction. Why would Jesus do that? Well, it's only because of this. He's saying as good as marriage gets, as good as marriage is on its best of days and its best of couples, God has something even better that's just going to blow us away that we can't even fathom right now. And it's called intimacy with the living God, face-to-face with the living God in an absolutely healing relationship with God at the throne, Jesus on the throne, and us living together in community around the throne. Think of it this way. Remember the last time you had a, just a really good conversation with somebody? It was just really healing. Maybe it was with your husband or wife. Maybe it was with a friend. Uh, maybe it was with, with a parent or a sibling. And you just sat face to face and you talked about life and you felt so heard and so valued and so understood, and they felt the same way. Or maybe you were working on something together, and you're sort of side by side, and, you're, and you just have this amazing connection. Well, even those amazing conversations, they're, they're, they're fleeting. They're, they're, they're so hard to get, and, and they're just so rare. Well, Jesus is saying that one day, We shall see him as he is, as the Bible says. It'll be face-to-face. It'll go on forever. It'll be the absolutely best, most healing conversation relationship you could ever imagine. That's where we're headed. And what he's saying is single Christians already have a foot or a toe or at least a hand reaching into that reality already if they've received that from the Lord. You know, Eugene Peterson was a great Christian man, author, speaker, pastor who died just last week. And right before he died, his last words were, 
let's go. I just, I don't know, that just moved me so much. It's like, let's go. Let's get there. I can hardly wait to get there. This is going to be so good. Singles are the ones that are actually leading the way. So we say children, youth, they're our future. Well, kind of, in a way. But really, in the church, singles are our future. In a book called The Significance of Singleness, Dr. Christine Hitchcock-Reitz, who's a theology professor, a believer, she talks about, she was 29 years old, she was living in South Dakota, she was single, she said, living in South Dakota, I had very little hopes of finding a guy in South Dakota, so she said, I just, I thought I would just be miserable, single for the rest of my life, and she said, the church, the church, the only vision the church gave her was that there's something bigger and better coming, it's called marriage, and then she said, so she lived with that, and then she said, then I met Flo. Flo was a 60-year-old woman who was, had never been married, spent most of her life as a missionary in Muslim-majority countries. And here's what she said. Let me read it. Flo did for me what no one had ever done. She presented a living, breathing picture of a beautiful, exciting, adventurous life in which she happened to be single. Until this point, she said, I didn't have any good role models. But Flo presented me with a very different vision for my life, a vision that was both beautiful and entirely biblical. I thought, I can do this. I could be single like Flo. Flo showed me that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection pulled me into a story that is much bigger and grander than my own life story. Well, of course, Flo is, in a way, from the future. She's living the future life already. She's got a taste of it, at least. Now, i got to say, the church throughout history has oftentimes done a really good job of valuing marrieds and singles. Sometimes the church has actually put singleness above marriage, but that's not the biblical teaching. They should stand side by side. And a great example of this is the teaching from 1 Corinthians 7, the first reading you heard read. Let me zero in on just a couple of verses because there's a lot going on in this passage, but Paul begins by talking about, he begins by saying, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He repeats that phrase, it is, that's not in your passage, but I'll get to verse seven in just a minute. So verse one says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And he says that phrase a couple times, it is good. It is good. It's almost like he's hearkening back to Genesis one in creation and he's saying, remember creation? Remember when God said, it is good? Remember how good creation is? I just think, like, like now, you've got autumn leaves crunching under your feet, or you've got the smell of baked apples with cinnamon, or you see geese flying overhead in flight and honking, or you've got the taste of a good peach after the blueberries are all gone, which is disappointing. And you think, how good is that? Creation is good. So Paul seems to be saying, sort of implying, let me tell you something else that's good. It's singleness. Marriage is good, but singleness is good too. Look at verse seven. Now Paul's a single man, and he says in verse seven, I wish that all were as my, I, I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Marriage is a gift, but singleness is a gift too. 
I love how he calls it a gift. Now, he's not implying that it's a lifelong gift. He's not implying that it's, it's for everyone. He's not implying that it's an easy gift, because it's not. But he is implying that single people have a gift, a gift to receive and a gift to offer the church and to the world. Verse 17, he says this. This is how to live with this gift. This is how to live. Everyone as a Christian should live. Verse 17, he says, only let each person lead the life or walk the walk that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And then he goes on to talk about people in different life situations, people experiencing different situations in their life. And then he concludes in verse 24, he bookends it, so brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. There is something bigger than the calling to be married. There's something bigger than the calling to be single. There's something bigger than the calling to be this or that. And that's your calling to be in Jesus. You're calling to be his follower. They're calling to be loved by him. So Paul says, in those bookends, there is a life for you. And he's basically saying, look at the life you have right now. It's not perfect. It's got sharp edges. It's got lonely spaces. It's got aches and yearnings. Married people have that. Single people have that. Paul says, throw yourself into that life. Not the life you wish you had with the people you wish were in your life. Throw yourself into your life right now. Pour yourself out for the Lord and his church in that life. And you will find that your reach is broader and your roots are deeper than you ever imagined. I remember back in 2010, I was meeting with a friend of mine, Kevin Miller, who's now an Anglican priest. I guess he was an Anglican priest then too. And we met and we had some long conversations. He was one of my best friends. Um, and he said, we were talking about this life that I was embarking on. And I was just telling him, just this, really hard. And I didn't know if I could do it. And he said, you know, Matt, I have a word for you. I said, yeah, what is it? He said, I think you're gonna find the life that God really has for you by pouring yourself out for others. And I sat there a little stunned, and I thought to myself, you got another word in there for me? Because that's not the word I wanted to hear. But you know, I think he was right. I found it to be true. Every Christian is called to live the life that you're called to now. Doesn't mean it won't change sometimes, but as long as you're there, pour yourself out right there. And then Paul has a special word for single people. In verse 32, he says this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And then he goes on to talk about women. It's the same thing for a wife. Her interests are divided. Now, a couple things about that passage. First of all, Paul puts men and women on the same plane, which in that culture was really radical and revolutionary because in the culture of that time, most men were allowed and even encouraged to have multiple sexual outlets. Your wife could be your first or your second or your third choice. You could have multiple options. And twice in this passage says, no, Paul, 
Paul says men and women, they're under the same rules. They're under this. They have the same dignity. They have the same belovedness in Jesus Christ. So that was pretty radical. But the second radical thing Paul says is, again, he says singleness is a, can be a really good life. It can be a gift. Now, he's not elevating singleness above. He's just saying singleness gets a short shrift a lot. So I just, I just want to focus on this gift for a minute. And it's a fact that the unmarried, that me as an unmarried man, I have more space in my life to devote to certain things that can be really good and fruitful. Or let's say they can be broader. I can have more undivided attention. Let me give you an example. So I'm going to go to Nigeria tomorrow with Bishop Stewart, and I love traveling with Bishop Stewart. He's an amazing travel partner. But, you know, every day, two, three times a day, he's got to check back in at home. How's Catherine doing? How are the kids doing? And he should be doing that. That's a husbandly duty. He should be laying down his life for his wife. That's what Ephesians 5 says. Meanwhile, while he's talking on the phone, I'm milling around, getting to know the hotel staff at the Novell Suites, getting to know these young Nigerian guys, getting to know these young Nigerian women. We're talking. We're talking about life. We're talking about the Lord. Now, he does some of that, but I have way more time to do that than he does. Now, notice this assumes something about this gift. This assumes that it's a gift we receive in order to give away. And that's the point of verse 7, where Paul calls this a gift. He says, each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. All the gifts God gives are to be received and given away. Singleness is a gift to be given away. There's a guy in my Church of the Res, um, I'll call him Bill. He's a 30-something guy. He uh, may never get married. We meet for lunch every once in a while, and we talk about life, share food, just sit and talk. He shared openly about some of his struggles, some of his doubts, some of his struggles about the church's teaching with sexuality, but he's moved into this really beautiful gift status with his singleness. And again, it may not be forever, but for now. He volunteers with refugees. He's taking Arabic classes so he can learn uh, mother tongue of most Muslims. He um, attends a small Arabic-speaking church on Saturdays. He's got a lot of friends. Uh, one point, I, and a good job that he likes. One time I looked him in the eye and I said, Bill, has anyone ever told you that you are living a really fruitful life? that when you, your life course is run, that you will have touched a lot of people, and it is really fruitful. And he, he kind of shocked. He said, no, nobody's ever told me that. I said, well, as your pastor, as someone who speaks for the church, I just want to say, you have a fruitful life now, and you can have a fruitful life the rest of your life. That's what Paul's hoping for in 1 Corinthians 7, is to live into, receive, and give the gift of singleness. Let me close with a couple words, um, one for married people and one for single people. Pastoral word. The first is for married people. Take the initiative. 
take the initiative to make room for single people. Include them, befriend them, invite them, love them. John Paul II, great Catholic pope, he once talked about preferential option for the poor, meaning, wow, we got we to gotta think about the poor first. I, I don't want to detract from that at all. But I think there's also a preferential option for singles if you're married. It's easy to invite your married friends. Invite your single friends. Take the initiative. I remember my friend Kevin Miller again and his wife Karen. I know throughout the last nine years, both of them, especially Kevin, just because his schedule allows it, have given me, as a single person, a high priority. So I know sometimes I call Kevin, he'll just text me right back and just say, can't talk right now, but I'll call you in 30 minutes, or I'll call you in two hours. Can you be available then? He's done that for me for like nine years just because he knows that sometimes single life is really hard, and you don't have that special person there. So as much as he can, he's going to try to make room for me. It's really beautiful. I told him just this week as I was getting ready for the sermon, I said, I'm going to share this story, and I just want to thank you for what you've done. And we've never really talked about it, but I know what you were doing. You were sort of giving me really level five clearance to your life, the highest level possible, probably besides your wife. And not only because we're good friends, but because he knows I need it. And this is not like, oh, those poor singles, they're so pathetic, we gotta reach out to them. No, it's because as married people, you need them as much as they need you. The church needs them as much as married people. Single people, here's the word for you. Remember, married people, take the initiative. Single people, take the initiative. Take the initiative. Take the initiative with friendship. Take the initiative with the church. Take the initiative with the Lord. You know, for a long time, I just sort of sat around on weekends, Friday and Saturday, and I realized I have no plans Friday and Saturday, and I have nothing to do, and there's nobody to do it with. And I just felt really miserable. And then I thought, why don't I just call my married friends and see if they actually want to get together with me? So I started calling them, and I was really afraid. I thought they'd say, eh, hanging out with my wife, Matt. That's what I always do on Friday and Saturday. They were like, yeah, that would be great. I can't do it this weekend, but let's do it next weekend. And I realized they needed my friendship. I had something of value, that their life, even, even though I had good marriages, was not completely complete, that they could use some more friends. People may be waiting for you. You may have something to offer. When I was flying, to, uh, flying into Papua New Guinea, into Port Moresby Airport, on uh, a pretty, what felt like, well, actually, I was flying into Mount Hagen from Port Moresby, so it felt like a really rickety plane, and it felt like it was not going to get off the ground, and then it felt like it was never going to land. So we were coming in for the landing, and then all of a sudden, the guy pulled up and took off again. I thought, what the heck? We missed our landing spot. And then he gets on and said, uh, sorry, folks, we uh, miscalculated some calculations, and we missed the landing spot, so we'll give it another try. And I thought, you know, that's how a lot of times I've tried to approach the single life. 
That's how a lot of singles live. They're just sort of circling. They've missed the landing pad. They're not on the ground. They're in the air, just sort of circling, waiting for real life to start. Let me encourage you that in and through and with and for Jesus and the church, your feet as a single person are firmly planted on the ground. You didn't miss it. You don't need to find the landing spot because you've already landed. Now, again, that may not be forever. You may be in a season, but your feet are on the ground. I think of Moses when God told him, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. You're single. You're on holy ground. Or Jacob where he's told the Lord, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. The Lord is in your singleness. You're on solid ground, and the church is there, and the needy world is there. People that need you are there, and the beauty of creation is there, and culture and art and learning is there, and friends are there, and the Lord Jesus is there. Your feet are planted on solid ground. Live that way in and through and with and for Jesus and his church. Amen.